In June, Cristiano Amon will take over as CEO of mobile chip giant Qualcomm. My colleague Shar Tipkin and I had a chance to talk to him and ask him about his new role, what keeps him up at night, and what he really thinks about Apple's M1 processor. I'm Roger Chang, and this is your Daily Charge. Welcome, Cristiano. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Very happy to be here. Obviously, you had some big personal news. Uh, you were named the new CEO uh, starting this summer. Uh, congrats on that role. Thank you so much. Incredible privilege for me to be named CEO of Qualcomm. I'm very honored about it. Yeah, we'd love to hear a little bit about, uh, you know, what are your first priorities going to be as the incoming CEO once you begin? You know, a lot of people ask me this question. You know, what I like about about, uh, this transition we're doing at Qualcomm, this is a story of continuity. And it's about, you know, keeping Qualcomm, you know, a technology first company, a company to continue to lead the pace of innovation. But having said that, um, we have been doing over the past few years, uh, really transforming the company into beyond mobile. You know, I always had a very strong, you know, mobile business, our core business, also the licensing business, but we're starting to grow into automotive, starting to grow into analog with our front end, started to grow into IoT, which is the beginning of that. So the priorities will be continue to execute on this incredible opportunity we have ahead of us, which is 5G, which is also making telecommunications or communications in general no longer unique uh, to the mobile space, but across every other industry and really capitalize on that opportunity. Well, Cristiano, uh, to that, uh, as you take on this role, what are some of the biggest challenges facing Qualcomm? What, what keeps you up at night? The, the number one challenge we always had, you know, our business is, is very unique. We have to reinvent ourselves every year. We have to win the flagship, you know, over and over again every year. So, you know, I think all of us at Qualcomm, it's about making sure we're always focused in driving the technology roadmap. Don't become complacent. Continue to drive the roadmap forward. And, you know, right now, if you ask me what keeps me up at night right now is this uh, supply chain crisis we're having in the semiconductor industry. I think it's a result of a lot of success uh, in general about an acceleration of digital transformation across a number of industries, but it's, it is causing a, a lot of stress as the supply chain was not prepared to deal with the growth. And uh, But you know we're navigating through it, and we're very happy to the position we have right now. When is the supply chain issue going to end? Like, is this something that gets resolved pretty quickly, or is it something that's going to take a long time until like Samsung and TSMC and some of these other companies can build more factories? Um, no, look, it, it 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 will get better at the end of this year. We have line of sight, and, uh, and given our scale, uh, we're very fortunate and very well positioned, and we have line of sight that this is going to get resolved by the end of the year. But you're correct. Uh, part of solving this problem is to accelerate the build out of more capacity, and that is about building buildings and new clean rooms and new equipment. The way to think about that, Shara, is um, when the pandemic hit, uh, there was an assumption made in general across the industry that that the 
capacity for semiconductor, you know, for if especially if there will be recession given the pandemic, you know, was it was good. And the reality, what we saw was the opposite, the enterprise transformation of the home, people buying new computers, being buying new printers, new Wi-Fi systems, upgrading broadband. Companies had to uh, connect their assets. So we saw acceleration of IoT and digital transformation across the board. Uh, paper money disappear as people started to digitize, you know, everything and payments, even a small business. And we always said the mobile uh, has been very resilient. 5G, we said uh, in the very beginning, we state our 5G numbers, even the beginning of the pandemic, we said the 5G transition is still going. It's important. We end the year at the high end. So all of those things happen for a capacity that was not put in place for growth. And I think we're just seeing, you know, the effects of uh, of demand in supply, but the demand will catch up with uh, uh, supply or vice versa towards the end of this calendar year. One area I'm really interested to hear about is the PC market. Um, you know, obviously, this is an area that had tons of demand over the past year, you know, for laptops and other devices where people are working from home. You know, Qualcomm's made a big push in putting your mobile chips in PCs. Um, you know, we saw Apple come out with its M1 powered Macs, which, you know, proved to be extremely popular. Um, you know, how is demand for those M1 devices impacted, you know, your focus on PC chips? Um, you know, has it made your computers more in demand? Like what sort of impact has the M1 had on Qualcomm? PC, uh, this day is one of my favorite topics of conversation. So thank you for this question. Look, rather than talk about the specific demand for M1, this is a, a great, I think, opportunity to talk about the trend. So the PC was being transformed. And we always believe at Qualcomm that, you know, there'll be conversions between mobile and PC. And mobile became the, the bigger platform. There are more smartphones than PCs. The developer ecosystem is now driven on the mobile side. And we believe in that convergence. That's what we started, you know, several years ago, I think more than four years ago with Microsoft on this journey of Windows on Snapdragon. And now recently, we're starting to see Snapdragon on Chrome OSs and Chromebooks. Then the the pandemic hit. And when the pandemic hit, it changed certain things forever. And I am super excited to talk about this because like, if you're talking to me from a PC right now, and I'm sure you are, you and Roger, PC became a communicator device. And it, as people make phone calls, they started to make uh, Teams calls, Zoom. Zoom became a verb in many languages. And the PC now is connected, became a communicator device. Camera become really important. Audio multimedia became important. You're doing productivity. You take a break, you watch Netflix. In the future, with uh, 5G connected PCs, you're going to watch uh, uh, not only video, but you're going to play mainstream games with xCloud and Amazon, Luna, you know, Luna or Google, you know, Stadia and all of that. And then on top of it, people that had a workstation, they are home. They don't have a workstation. They have their laptop. But using 5G on-demand computing, you get you know, access to any application that you can run on the cloud using the computing platform on the cloud. So the PCs has been completely transformed. And Apple switching to uh, M1 with an ARM instruction set just validated that transformation and start moving the developer ecosystem as a faster pace. So we're more convinced than ever that 
conversions is going to happen. BC is going to be a great opportunity for expansion on Snapdragon. And that's that's one of the first things I did after I've been announced as CEO elect was to do the acquisition of Nuvia. As we believe there's an opportunity for us to lead in the CPU performance as well, as we start to think about this complete transitions of PC to a mobile SOC. So let me let me ask, let me follow up on that, because I think we want to talk about Nuvia, but I want to follow up on this question about you know Apple versus PC. I know you talk about the long-term opportunity, but gotta admit, were you a little frustrated by the fact that you know you have been pushing Snapdragon-powered laptops for a couple of years now? They've you know they haven't really gained a lot of traction, a lot of attention. And then Apple comes in with this M1, M1-powered Mac, got a huge amount of buzz. Folks were raving about these things, whereas the, you know the Snapdragon laptops for the last couple of years have not really gotten the best of reviews. Was there some frustration there? Did you have to like go back to your team and and kind of rethink? Know how you would do this. I'm just curious your, your thoughts on the the kind of the different reactions that those Snapdragon laptops had versus those M1 Max. No, no not at all. I here's how I'll answer uh, this question, Roger. We knew that we started this journey, and this journey about you know Windows, for example, which is being running on an x86, you know, uh, forever. We needed to introduce. Uh, ARM instruction sets to Windows, and we're working with Microsoft, and we knew that we're still building this journey. As an example, for example, uh, in this summer, we're going to now, we're celebrating that, you know, the next, latest update for Microsoft Windows, which now support uh, 64-bit uh, emulation uh on ARM, and now we're starting to see for the very first time the enterprise laptops. HP just launched a commercial enterprise laptop with Windows Snapdragon. So we're in the beginning of the ramp. And the way we see the Apple launch, it's a great uh, tailwind because what Apple did by launching this not only validated the transition, but you know, move the developer ecosystem. The difficulty that you have when you try to introduce a new instruction set on the PC, and this is not news to to Apple. I think they've been through those uh, that transition twice, if you look at their history. And then many have tried in the past. We tried in the past a long time ago with a Windows RT. And, and that really only works when you no longer have a second class, you know, a platform. It's just the great Windows experience and you know, and every application is going to run and you're going to be able to keep everything you had of Windows and you add everything new coming from a mobile platform. And and we we believe we're now you know getting to the to the end of this journey. And what what Apple did, which really helped, I think the broader ecosystem helps Apple helps uh, Microsoft. It basically creates the resolve within the developer ecosystem to start doing ARM native apps going forward. So my answer to your question is: We're super pleased. We're super excited. It validates, you know, that bat, and I think that's going to happen uh, not only within you know the Apple ecosystem, but within Windows as well as Google. And no question, when we announced the Nuvia acquisition, if you look of our press release, it was incredible. It was a parade of everybody in the mobile and the PC segment, including Microsoft and Google in the same press release saying, this is great. You know, so we're excited about that. Yeah, I wanted to dive a little bit more into Nuvia. Um, you know, you guys are going to pay, I think, $1.4 billion for this company, you know, started by former Apple engineers, basically. You know, why, why do you need Nuvia? 
Okay. I'll, you know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story and, and this has a lot to do with the conversation we just had about how Qualcomm sees some of the industry transitions and how we execute uh, on them. So the story is, if you remember back in 3G in the feature phone days and the Blackberries, we knew as we brought 4G and mobile broadband to the seller space, the phones will have to become computers. You're going to have a broadband, so you need to have a computer in your hand to make use of the broadband, and you're going to have a processor, you're going to run a high-level OS, and you have an application. And uh, and we knew at that point that you didn't have a high-performance processor for a battery-powered device. Uh, we could not get that from the ARM roadmap. So, so we basically put together a CPU team, and we built, if you remember, Scorpion was the very first gigahertz clock CPU and a battery power device. Um, after that, we did Crate, and that drove the absolute majority of you know the the, the smartphone platform across. So, you know, at that time, you know, uh, Android was growing. There's two other OSs at the time. And clearly it was Qualcomm was the forefront of really creating, you know, a mobile computing platform with our own CPU. After that time, ARM caught up and we saw that the really the pace of innovation was driving towards other things, such as graphics and camera and enhanced multimedia. And there was really not a lot of differentiation between what we could do and ARM could do. So we changed the approach. We started to use ARM CPUs and customize the ARM CPUs. And that's what you see, you know, with the Snapdragon 800 today. Then we saw ourselves in exactly the same point we were before. We see that this convergence, we just talked about it, that mobile and computer are going to become one. And that's going to happen with the 5G era. It's just easy to, for you to think, you know, if I'm going to give you like a, a very simple example, you have things such as gaming PC. If you're going to stream game like you do Netflix, then all you need is a screen. Whether the television is going to become a console, the PCs. So the services through the connectivity started to change. And we saw this is plus what we saw with the pandemic, the transformation of PC. And then we realized we need a CPU to basically have the leadership position in, in the future computing devices. And that's the reason we bought Nuvia. We don't believe that the ARM roadmap can deliver that CPU today, which will be the benchmark of performance for the for the future computing devices. And uh, we set ourselves, you know, like we're, we're, we're back at the 4G days uh, to build that platform for the future uh, HCX product lines. And we're gonna use the Nuvia CPU in our computing, you know, dedicated roadmap, as well as a premium mobile Snapdragon, why not? Well, you brought up ARM, and I want to ask about that because NVIDIA is trying to buy it for $40 billion. Uh, I know you've flagged it, so I'm curious what you know what your opposition is to the deal and what you think will how you think the industry will change if NVIDIA is allowed to buy ARM. Well, the way we think about it, Roger, is ARM the 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 strength of the ARM roadmap is its independence. So I'll give you I'll give you a contrast, which is very easy to see. So let's look at two situations. One situation is Qualcomm announces that we're buying Nuvia 
And we are designing uh, what we believe to be the leadership CPU for future computing devices and future premium mobility and even automotive in the entire ecosystem, join and support and validate and applaud. So if you look at our our announcement, you have pretty much every, every Android uh, mobile OEM with one exception, Huawei, because we don't have a license to sell to Huawei, but Honor was there. And you have every PC company. Uh, the only one we didn't have was Dell, but Dell Capital was an investor in Nuvia, so they were aware of the deals. But we have everybody else there. We have Asus, we have Acer, we have Lenovo, we have HP, we have Microsoft and, Go- and Google. So everybody supports. NVIDIA say they're going to buy ARM, everybody complains. There's a clear contrast right there, right? So our view is NVIDIA does not need to buy ARM to do what they said they're going to do. They have the ability with an architecture license like we do, like Apple do, like they, to basically build an ARM CPU and and put that together with, uh, you know, their other solutions and build products and take it to compete in the marketplace. So, So we don't necessarily see the arguments when you think about it is necessary for them to buy ARM for ARM to compete with uh, Intel x86. Well, just just look at the conversation we just had. Apple moving the roadmap to ARM. Uh, Microsoft moving the roadmap to ARM with Qualcomm. Um, it's then you say you know they need to buy ARM so ARM can compete in performance with Intel. Apple just exceeded Intel i9 with their M1 processor. Qualcomm is buying Nuvia. So so you don't need to buy ARM to accomplish everything you say that you're going to be able to do it. So my view is the ARM ecosystem thrives. They, they thrives and is successful and creates incredible competition across the globe because it's independent. And that's our view. Great. We're about out of time, but uh, one last question for you. We know that there was some news this week, Snapdragon Sound. What is that? Can you, can you explain that for us? Absolutely. So the unique thing about Qualcomm is when we when we do things, we take a system level approach. Like it, when we, you know, it's a unique about the company DNA of uh, not, not only driving innovation, creating standards, but trying to basically uh, create, you know, a system level experience. You know, I'm sure you heard us talking about more than to antenna. When I think about wireless communications, everything from digital all the way to, to the RF with RF front end. And we could be, you know, we had an opportunity to do the same thing with audio. So what Snapdragon Sound is, is it, and I want to refer back to some of the things we're just doing right now, which is a result of uh, this different way to communicate the pandemic. Um, it is becoming an essential part of owning a smartphone or even a computer to, you know, frequently have a pair of headsets, Bluetooth headsets that you put, you know, whether, and that's not only for the phone, you can have that with your smartwatch and you can have that with a computer and you're in and out of call, calls, collaboration, you listen to music, you're playing games. And, and that became more popular with the pandemic as people, you know, were doing a lot of things, you know, uh, in their computer. And there was an opportunity really to create a premium audio experience as you think about the Snapdragon solution. If you think about a smartphone, uh, you know, with the premium Snapdragon 800, there's 
audio is part of the experience. So we took the system level approach and we basically touch many aspects of the audio experience. Improving Bluetooth experience, fast pairing with fast connect, improve Bluetooth latency and make it more reliable. So, for example, whether it's a control, whether you're playing a game, uh, whether you're watching a video, whether you're in a call, then we look of the technology that we had, uh, which is the AptX ecosystem. That actually came, you know, from a lot of our uh, music, voice and music products. That is the preferred, you know, uh, platform for the audio files. And we add that to Snapdragon Sound. Then we increase the codec um, for voice calls to basically have wideband voice and we bring HD audio, in, including you know, the frequency response as, as and, and we top it all off with uh, adaptive noise cancellation. So it is really about recognizing that it's now part of this experience of being in your phone on your PC is the audio and basically try to set the benchmark for performance. That's what Snapdragon sounds all about. Great. Well, uh, Cristiano, thank you so much for joining us on the Daily Charge today. We appreciate it. My pleasure. I love talking to both of you. I want to thank incoming Qualcomm CEO Cristiano Mon for his time. If you have any questions, hit us up on Twitter at The Daily Charge or sign up for direct text messages from me by heading to cnet.co slash daily charge. And if you liked what you heard, please subscribe and rate the podcast. It really helps us out. For The Daily Charge, I'm Roger Chang. Thanks for listening.